Before we start the show, just a word from our sponsor, Undeniable Press. For all your screen printing needs, located in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. If you ever need any t-shirts or any other little promo accessories, posters, or whatnot printed up for you, go to Undeniable Press. They're located, once again, in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. And you can uh, reach them at facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit. And those same guys who do Undeniable Press also have a clothing line called 20 by 20 Apparel. It's very much wrestling themed. All sorts of nostalgic themes in regards to the history of wrestling. And you can go check out their clothing line at 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20, apparel.com. Now let's start the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast, the podcast about music, pro wrestling, and MMA. I am your host, Kay Fresh. And like always, we have a great show for you. But before we get into that, let me just remind you how you can support the podcast. You can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just uh, share any links that you see on the website and any of your social media. That would definitely help us out a lot. And also, you can click on the link that says support the podcast. And there's a PayPal link you can donate to along with a Amazon link on that page that you can use anytime you want to make any Amazon purchases. It doesn't change anything on your end, but whatever purchase you make using that link, they'll uh, shoot back a little bit of commission our way. And also, you can follow Fresh of the Word on Twitter and Instagram at Fresh of the Word 1. That's Fresh of the Word, then the number 1. And then also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh of the Podcast. You can also subscribe or follow Fresh is the Word on a slew of platforms online like iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Just go to any of those uh, websites and search Fresh is the Word and the show will pop up. You can go ahead and subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do. And you can also leave some comments on there. Uh, Five stars if that's applicable. Please do so. That would definitely help out the podcast. Now, uh, onto the show. Got a great guest this week. Davey Muse, the lead singer of the, the, the metalcore band Vanna. Uh, Vanna decided that uh, their uh, upcoming tour is going to be their last. They're going to be disbanding. Time for, uh, you know, the, for, time for them to go out on a high note. And that's definitely what they want to do. So uh, me and Davey Muse get into that and see what, you know, he explains the reasons why uh, it's time to, you know, put an end to the band. 
and then we talk about some of the other things that he's uh, that he's involved in. It was great talking with uh, Davey in regards to uh, everything, regards to you know himself and with uh, the ending of Vanna. And then afterwards, like always, I'm always, I'm joined with my uh, co-host V Styles, and we talk about what's going on in the world of music, pro wrestling, MMA. We get into the recent promotion, of, or I would say more like hiring, of Eminem's manager, Shady Records head, Paul Rosenberg, to become the head of Def Jam starting in 2018. Then we also recap UFC 214, uh, the John Jones and Daniel Cormier rematch. And then we also talk about Shinsuke Nakamura defeating John Cena on SmackDown Live this past weekend to become the opponent for the WWE world title against Jinder Mahal at SummerSlam. So we're super excited about that. All right, before we get into all that discussion, let's first get to the interview with Davey Muse of Vanna. Thank you for taking the time out, man. That's, that's what it's about. Cool. Uh, so your band, uh, Vanna, they, uh, you know, you guys have uh, announced that this is going to be your last tour. You know, what's the reason behind ending the band? Um, well, I think uh, we called the tour All Good Things Must Come to an End because um, we're kind of moving forward to from one good, really awesome thing in our lives to to a couple other things. I think that, you know, touring in a band like this, you kind of put a lot of stuff in your life on the shelf, you know what I mean? Um, you know, whether it be like a career or relationships or, you know, houses or whatever the case may be, you kind of put it on the shelf uh, and do, you know, doing the band we loved it so much but i think at, at this point like the the shelf for all of us is kind of tipped over there's so much that we put on the shelf and uh, i think it was just a a perfect time and a perfect storm uh, we got back from warp tour and we all kind of just you know talked to each other about it and we were like you know everyone's got these things that are they're doing and, and, and you know um, a couple of you know kids and married and whatever and career opportunities um and that's the point where it seemed like um, future plans of the band were going to be something that was going to be very stressful. Um, and we love music a lot. And uh, not only do we love music, we love each other. And, you know, I think we care about each other more on a personal level um, than, you know, worrying about being professional and being in our band and stuff. So um, I think it was a combination of it was the right time for all of us to sort of walk away. And um, also, we've been on tour with bands who have kind of you know, drag their band out for so long and, you know, they, 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 they fight with each other and they get into fights, like, on stage. Um, and we never wanted to get into a point where, um, you know, we were dragging it out and it felt like we shouldn't be here. And uh, our last record that we released, I think, was not only our favorite, but it was commercially our biggest success. And I think that, you know, what a better way and time to go out than, you know, kind of on top of your own career. Uh, so with all the factors and everything... Uh, kind of pointing towards that we should all kind of walk away for a little while. We don't want to fight something that seems uh, pretty natural to us. And it's been 13 years. Uh, it's been a hell of a 13 years. And I think that we've kind of, you know, earned the right to walk away for a little bit. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, things, you know, as time goes on, you guys get older, have more responsibilities, more opportunities kind of come you guys' way. So it's hard to juggle all that stuff, you know, 
uh, throughout those Absolutely. years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's all, and it's always good to kind of go out on a good note, go out on top, you know, go right. out on your own terms, then, then be like, fuck it. One day we just hate each other and we're just going to part ways, you know? hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, um, you know, during, during this time with touring this band for so long and, you know, progressively, you know, you, you've, or continually, you guys have uh, you know been putting out records on a regular basis every few years. You know, was this you know band and um, becoming harder to sustain a living from? Um, you know, I I, I I think that we live in a genre in a world where there's so many rules. Um, and it's like you know you got to release a record every two years. Um, you got to tour on that record for you know eight months. Uh, and you gotta only take a month to write and record the record. Now, there's all these weird timing rules of what's supposed to happen. So you get into this routine of, like you said, releasing a record every couple of years and all this touring and stuff. And for us, um, it was actually getting to be easier in these years, sustaining like us, li- us living there um, and, and, and being on tour. And being able to do uh, all these things, I think it got better for us, if anything. It's funny, we had a VIP session um, this past week that was like, kids are asking that we're, you know, it's getting harder and harder to tour. And I was like, you know, our touring was getting better and better. And our touring life was a lot easier. I just think that it came at a time where we had already, I had already, uh, um, we'd already done the years of touring. We'd already, you know, put in so much time and so much work and we were kind of like, man, I, I wish that this came a little bit easier at a at a at a, at a uh, earlier time, really. Um, and because of all the things that we're doing now, it was just making going out on the road a little bit harder. And it's funny because um, a lot of the reasons why we are coming off the road were all manifested because we were in Vanna. We got so many of these opportunities to work hard for, um, whether it be in a career, a personal. Um, uh, you know, personal gains just came from the band. It's so funny. So we had to end up, you know, ending these touring things and ending the band because of the things that the <laughs> band manifested for us, which is kind of funny. Right. And the, and the, uh, it's funny that you kind of say that it's uh, becoming easier. I've talked with other uh, members of, uh, of other bands that are um, sort of in your genre, adjacent to what you guys do. And, they kind of said similar things where their last album, they kind of forced themselves to sort of take time out to do that record instead of because their previous efforts, they were rushed into the studio. So I feel like a lot of bands are, are make making time so that they don't have to, you know, be, you know, hold those strict rules that you are talking about, you know, do, you know, does that feel better when you're able to make it easier on you, on yourself? Yeah, because, what we got to remember as at the heart of all of this stuff is we're making art. We're making a a, a thing that we're so passionate about and that we love. And you get into this routine, um, just like kind of anything else, it becomes like a job. It becomes um, a thing that you like have to do and you're you're churning out all this stuff because yeah, there are all these like stupid rules to it. Um, And when you can take the time to make a record where you can step back and, 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 you know, have the time to watch your art and your craft really be molded and really put time into it. It feels a lot better, you know. Um, it's weird because, like, 
you know, just seeing other bands and like, you know, bigger bands in the world, like, you know, like uh, Metallica, like James Hetfield took like almost three years off from writing one record, but he stepped back and reassessed his life and got his life right now. Metallica is a huge band, a career band, but that's not to say that he didn't get his life right so that his art can become right. And, you know, so often as cathartic and as therapeutic as making records are, for us, sometimes you just need a little bit of time. Sometimes you just need to, like, back off some things. So it's nice at the end of the, our career where we can kind of, like, well, I, wanna, I don't want to say do what we want, but we kind of pick and choose the things that we got to do. We weren't so desperate for things. Because when we were younger, you know, we were so young and hungry that we just basically, any tour that we got offered, we stayed on the road and we did, you know. Um, and, you know, from, like, 2009 to 2008, you know, 14, 15, we were on the road eight to 10 months a year. That's like not an exaggeration. And a lot of bands are, most bands in our genre were doing that. Right. Um, but I think that we're, we're in a time where, we, you know, we can't do that so much and we burn out. We, you know, you, that's how you do sometimes lose bands to, to negativity and do lose bands to being tired and they end up hating what they're doing. And, um, you know, I just think that, you know, art takes time and, uh, you know, you can't really rush um, you know, an amazing thing. So, you know, I think, I think it's cool to watch some bands take some time, step back, and then come out and write a dope record, you know what I mean? That's what it's about. Like, if you look at, like, you know, pop music and stuff, an artist will come out with a record, and it'll be, like, four or five years before they come out with another single or something. And with us, we're on, like, an 18-month turnaround time. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know who made these rules in our genre and, uh, uh, you know, why everyone just, has to fall into place with all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it's cool to see uh, bands taking control of their own destinies. Yeah. In the, in the band's history, you, you're actually the, th the third uh, lead singer. You came in around 2009, correct? Yep. Yeah, looking back, you know, what's your thoughts about that time? You know, what sticks out in your mind about, you know, your early years with this band? Um, you know, my early years in this band, I did I had to do a lot of proving myself. Um, you know, it's funny because now I've been in the band, uh, like three times as long as the last singer, which was, you know, uh, the original, technically the original singer in the band is Nick, our guitar player. He recorded all, all the vocals. We had an interim guy for like a little bit who didn't even record on a record. <laughs> and then Chris, um, who is the old singer, who's one of our best friends in the entire world. Yeah. Um, and for a while, it was like, you're not Chris, you're not Chris. And I was like, yo, there's a reason when you see a band, there's a reason why those people are on stage and a reason why the other people are not there anymore. And, uh, you know, Chris made a conscious decision to leave. And not only did he do that, but he, he you know, him and the band picked me to replace him. And I was honored. Uh, to take that spot because I was always friends with Vanna. You know, I would go to Vanna shows, um, hang out with them. My band would tour with them. So for me to flip, flip it and be in Vanna, you know, it was a combination of like I felt so, you know, lucky. And like I, I got this amazing privilege at the same time. I had to work for it because I entered the band at a time where, the, the, you know, the scene was sort of changing and how we did things changed. I had to appease old fans. I had to appease new fans. Um, and, I had to find a way to make Vanna my band. I had to find a way to make it my voice as well. Um, and, it, and, it, and it took me a little while to, to step into that leadership role. It took me a little while for my writing to get honest. Um, 
but my early days in Dana were just kind of like re- ultimately really opening my eyes a lot more because I was in a band, I was touring, I was doing all this stuff, but it wasn't anything compared to the magnitude of things that I got to do at Dana. Um, and those early days were just, you know, they're scary. They were, they were, I was pissed off because, you know, I thought I had something to prove. Um, <laughs> but it was cool because that's when I started meeting fans um, of the band that really helped change my life. Not only helped mold who I am, but actually helped mold really the direction that the band went into. And the reason why we are the band that we are today is because of all those early days and meeting all of those, you know, all those fans and all those kids. So it's a scary thing to like, throw yourself, uh, you know, on the front of a band. <laughs> right. And then you're asked to rep, you're asked to represent that band. You're asked to represent the collective idea of five people. You know, you, you know, you're, you're expected to, to win people over. You're expected to charm people. You're expected to be a good performer. You know, there's a lot of pressure when it comes down to that situation. And I think that I needed that in my life at that time. I think that stepping into that role really, really made my life step up in a sense as well. What do you think you learned from the fans during that time? You know, it, um, when I joined Vanna, um, you know, I was a, you know, I was a messed up kid. I think like, you know, a lot of us are, um, but I, you know, I wanted to portray this like image of being cool. Right. I wanted to be a cool guy. Cause going to work for as a kid and, you know, growing up, going to shows like, you know, seeing my, my favorite bands, I'm like, man, these guys are so cool. They have everything together. Their lives are amazing. Um, and I, you know, stepping into Vanna, that was hard for me because like, my life isn't, you know, all together. My life isn't, you know, you know, cool. And I, I kind of put on like a little front for a little while, but in meeting all these bands that I actually were my heroes and getting to tour with them and then getting to like speak with like, you know, all these people at shows, I realized that like this, this isn't the place to try to look cool and that all those bands I loved growing up, they were just messed up kids too, but they did something about it. They picked up a microphone, they picked up a guitar. Um, and, you know, it, it, it the kids, as I like to call them, they, uh, they really, really helped me re- reevaluate my life. Um, and they also helped me, you know, realize that I wasn't alone and all those issues that I was singing about, but not actually talking about, they helped me realize that I wasn't alone and all that stuff. And I think that was the most important thing for me in my confidence in my life is knowing that, like, you know, every time we go around to a city, you know, it grew and grew and our crowds got bigger and bigger. And those crowds became almost armies for our band and, and believing in the things that we wrote, believing in the things that we say. And, you know, that's really, really where I learned to be more of a confident person is through all these kids and listening to their stories and realizing that, man, okay, I guess I'm not alone in, in the things that I suffered through when I, in my early 20s or in high school or right. uh, whatever the case may be. And I think that that is sort of like reset my barometer on, on how I write. And, uh, you know, not only that, but my my outreach and, and things that I want to do of going above and beyond just being in this band. You know, I feel like um, kids outside of punk rock need to hear this too. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely, I always, I always attribute, you know, I said, said it on this tour, like every single day when kids would thank me at the merch table, I'm like, you don't need to thank me. Like I need to thank you. You know, you're the one that changed my life. Right. Right. Your first record with the band was the Honest Hearts EP, and then your first full length was the And They Come Bearing Bones uh, album. You know, how long do you feel like it took for you to feel comfortable being a part of this band? Um, yeah, Honest Hearts was like sort of us um, 
you know, those songs we were jamming in our practice space, like, as I was on tour. See, I, when I went right on tour with the band, and I was on tour for, you know, over a year before we did anything. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I listen to that record now, and I think about how, like, young I was in in this career. Um, and I don't think I really got comfortable until MK Barry Bones. Um, Honest Hearts is a record that I always will love and cherish, and I think it's where I kind of, um, you know, started getting a little focused on and it came very bones was a cool experience because it's my first time going away to record um, a record. Um, and it was a cool experience. And I think that I really started settling into the person that I wanted to be in this band and, and writing. And I, we got to, we got to write with Matt Goldman and recorded Matt Goldman. And he gave me, you know, you know, so much, you know, just like priceless advice on vocals and how to write and all this other stuff that kind of, you know, changed me so that when I could go into my next record, that's when I started being like, this is my band. I think that the record where I knew that this, like, I, you know, this is my band was um, The Few and the Far Between right after uh, and they came very Bones. I think that that's when, you know, everything was started on the trajectory um, and, you know, the, the true nature of our band started to form for me. Um, and also it's like, you know, when I started, you know, performing a little bit better and, and, uh, you know, after touring for so long with these guys, you get really comfortable. And I think that that record is really where that, that kind of like that comfortable level hit me. The time that you came in the band was also a time when the band was transitioning from Epitaph Records to Artery. You know, what was the outlook coming from the label Artery during that time when the band is also transitioning to a new uh, lead singer? Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I was part of that transition. I was part of that conversation. Um, Epitaph is hands down one of the best labels, uh, in, you know, our genre. Um, they have put out some of my favorite records of all time. And I think that the guys were so happy about the fact that we were on Epitaph because Epitaph was such a reputable label and um, they put on amazing records and, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we're on Epitaph Records. That's cool. Um, and then in meeting with people over there and, you know, um, I don't think they really knew where to put our band. I don't think they knew where to place us. Um, and especially with the, with the singer change and the kind of like figuring out the direction of the band and stuff like that. Um, I, I spoke up um, and I think that everyone felt the same is that I don't think Epitaph knew what to do with us. And I don't think we knew what to do with Epitaph. You know what I mean? And it came to a mutual thing from the label and band both that were like, Hey, listen, like, I don't think either of us really know where to go from here. Um, you know, so Epitaph was amazing enough to be like, Hey, you know what? Do, you guys do what you want to do. So let us know what you want to do because that's what we care about, which is amazing. And they ended up, uh, we ended up, taking uh, the record that we recorded and um, the video and all that stuff. And we were able to bring it to another label. Now at the time we were on tour. So we probably played in front of 12, 15 labels. We had all these, you know, labels contacting us and stuff. And, you know, you, you could, you could, as a label, you hear either one of two things when a new band comes, like, you know, a band comes out with a new singer, um, you're either, nervous and you go nah i don't want to touch that um because you know who knows what will happen or you're excited and saying yes i want to touch that because who knows what will happen but let's make something really cool happen yeah. um and of all the labels and all the people that we spoke to um, mike milford when he owned um and ran artery recordings uh with eric 
Um, those are the dudes that really like, they got it. They got what our band was. They understood what we were trying to do and trying to say. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, it was kind of like, that was the choice to go with. That was the label that we really wanted to, uh, to, to grow with. And I, I can confidently say that without that, without artery, we wouldn't be where we are today. They did a lot of stuff for us. They got us a lot of tours. Um, and, not only that, but the owner of Artery and our manager were best friends. So they had a, you know, a very common vision in mind with what we wanted to do. Um, so I think that the Artery grabbed us at a time where they knew we kind of didn't know what we were and they helped us figure out who we were. Uh, and I am forever grateful uh, to Artery, uh, you know, and mostly Mike Milford uh, for helping us out with that. It's cool because um, Mike Milford has a Vanna tattoo the owner of our label got a fan of tattoo during uh <laughs> you know the release of one of our one of our our, our records with them which is like mind-blowing my first full length he got a tattoo which is like very very cool to me like when your label owner gets your band tattooed on him like you know you know it's good you know what i mean <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, the past two uh, Vanna albums, Void and All Hell, were released on on Pure Noise. You know, what's been your relationship with that label? Um, so, uh, you know, being on Warp Tour, um, I met Jake uh, around the owner of Pure Noise in 2000, and I think it was 2012 Warp Tour, and you know, we uh, we actually always. This is the weirdest thing. We always showered at the same time, like in the showers <laughs> of Wolf Door. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of got to know each other a little bit. And um, I just think about the period I said all the time. And the thing I liked about Jake was he had a passion for music. He started a record label because he loved vinyl, um, which whenever anyone starts anything out of love and passion, that's the people that I trust. And that's the people that I, I, I can like kind of like collab with and uh right you know we would just talk about all these old records and all these like bands and hardcore scene and you know jake was in a band and um he just came off as like a real person and a real dude who got it who got the scene who understood what they were doing and you know he was like when are you gonna press some uh, vinyl on your record and i was like uh you know we uh you know, we don't have a vinyl option with our label. So Jake actually pressed the vinyls for few and far between because at the time, um, Razor and Tie Artery, which is the label, parent label that was with Artery, they didn't press vinyl. They didn't do vinyls at all. Um, so Jake put out our vinyl and he did like so many colorways and he did it so well and the vinyl sold so much. It was so cool. So it came down to, we were really unhappy with, um, you know, how things were being done. Not with Artery. We were very happy with Artery. It's the parent label. Um, you know, that we were kind of like, I don't think they get us. Again, another situation like Epitaph where, like, I don't think you get us. We don't get you. We don't know what you want. Um, and uh, we kind of had the option to move move on. Um, and, again, there's no bad blood there. I think, again, they were a company that was like, hey, we don't really know what's going on. We don't really know what to do with you. Um, and, you know, Artery said you guys kind of want to, you know, figure stuff out on your own. So when it came down to that, um, you know, Jake was – you know, he was like, yo, when am I going to work with Vanna? When am I going to sign Vanna? When am I going to sign Vanna? Uh, and one day I was like, yo, sign Vanna. Let's do this, you know. Um, and the relationship with Austin Pure Noise has been awesome. They, again, another label that, you know, a pivotal move in our career was, you know, signing to Artery and then signing to Pure Noise. Um, you know, I think Jake got what our band was. 
um, he still gets what our band is. Um, he, you know, he guides us, gives us the freedom to do what we want. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the Pure Noise roster lately, but uh, that label is probably, in my opinion, the best label in the entire industry um, as far as this, like, you know, the alt scene goes. Right, because right. they have, you know, so many dope bands in every single genre. And, uh, you know, he gets it. Pure Noise gets it. Everybody over there, um, they understand, you know what I mean? They, they, they get your band. Most of them have been in bands before, um, and, and they understand touring and, you know, jumping on the pure noise, I think that that um, also kind of gave us um, a somewhat of a, you know, legitimacy with a lot of maybe, a lot of people that maybe would have never listened to our band, you know, when we made that jump to pure noise and, you know, samplers and stuff with all these, you know, really great bands. I think it really kind of, you know, brought our band to a different um, audience and a different um, vantage point, which is, which is great. So, I mean, again, then I'm, you know, I'm forever grateful for Jake Brown and uh, Pure Noise and everything that, um, you know, he's done for our band. You know, when someone believes in your band, but they also work for your band, it's a cool combination. Definitely. Yeah, and these past two albums, uh, you guys also worked with uh, Will Putney, the uh, guitarist for for an autopsy, and he's produced for a bunch of bands, and they always have amazing things to say about him working with him. You know, what was your experience like working with Will? Um, we, we went to Will, we want to go to Will real bad. Uh, cause I mean, you know, look at all the records he's done in the past, like, you know, even like five years. Um, and, uh, you know, getting in there and, and working with him, um, you know, him and also, um, I want to give, I want to give a credit to, uh, you know, um, his engineer, Randy, um, between him and Randy, uh, you know, we, we were able to push ourselves to like really, really cool points. Um, I like people when they're honest about stuff and we would be jamming in the room with Will and like, he's like, you know, let's play these songs um, that you have for this record. And he would stop us and be like, nah, you know what, man, that sounds like a local band part. And, you know, <laughs> and he'd walk out of the room, like figure that out. That's not a good part. And he'd walk out of the room making coffee. And like, you could either do one of two things. You'd either get pissed off and be like, this dude doesn't know our band. Or you can be like, okay, there's an outside perspective. Like never thought about it like that. Um, I just love the way that, was just really honest about things. He's like, yeah, I mean, that part sucks. Why would you do that? And you're like, yeah, you're right. That part does suck. Why would I do that? You know? Um, and then, you know, and, and, and he's really great at writing uh, lyrics. You know, I've never, um, with a producer, you know, when he's like, Hey, send me your lyrics. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll send them to you. He's like, no, send them to me for your chord. You know, cause he's really, really adamant about, cause he knows that like, you know, vocals and, 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 and lyrics are that's what you hear in the band. That's what you focus on a lot. He knows how important that is. Um, so, you know, again, another producer that I got the chance to like, kind of like step it up and like move my career along with, you know, Vanna's career forward. Um, he had great, he has great ideas. Um, you know, I think, I think that sound wise, you know, like sonically, um, these two records are my favorite records and he really, you know, kind of helped us grasp what our sound is. And, you know, that kind of bled over into, like, you know, performing live and all that other stuff. And so, again, another another pivotal role, another pivotal man in our lives, um, you know, Will Putney coming in and really helping us figure out what we were trying to do, you know. Because um, I think, you know, at that point, you know, you never want to write the same record again. And, you know, I think Will really helped us uh, figure stuff out. Not only that, but I really think that Will helped um Will helped me, you know, work through a lot of things that I was going through in my life at the time, and and, and helped me figure out how to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, because 
and a lot of it was frustrating. A lot of it I didn't know how to, you know, to write down and how to say and how to, yeah, how to sing. And, uh, you know, Will really, uh, really kind of helped me with that from the forefront. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know any band that hasn't been happy with uh, a record that Will Putney has done with them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now that, uh, you know, you, you said that through the life of this band, there's been so many people that you've met, opportunities that have come up. You know, once this tour is over, you know, what's next for you? Um, it's funny because everyone that asks me that, I start listing these things and I'm like, actually, I'm actually busier than I am. I'm busier now than I am, I think, in Vanna. Um, <laughs> you know, I've met all these people and all these things. I'm a good all these things. I'm a, I'm a, a manager at the management company that um, manages uh, Vanna. I'm now a manager at that company. Okay. Um, I have um, my own bands um, that I manage. And I also help out with managing uh, bands on our roster. Um, so that's a cool thing. I just we just brought out both of my bands on um, this Vanna run. So it's funny because now I get more excited to watch them perform to watch them get things to, to 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 go after and fight for tours for these guys like that's what you know i started managing bands because i basically co-managed our band for years with our manager scott who has been my mentor you know for the last 10 years of my life right um and uh it's cool to work side by side with him and be a peer and um you know i wanted to manage bands because i wanted to make a difference in you know, not only, you know, our scene in our industry, but these bands' lives and treat these bands how I think I would want to be treated as a band member, you know. Um, you know, so I'm doing that. Um, for the last four years, I've been public speaking um, at uh, middle schools, high schools, and colleges. Um, and I, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of like, you know, motivational speaking, for lack of a better term, but right. I've been doing that and been able to make a career out of that. And I, I basically toured as much as I toured in van, I toured in that during the school year. Um, you know, speaking at schools and, uh, you know, sharing my life and sharing punk rock with, uh, you know, a lot of kids that maybe would never get to go to a punk rock show. Yeah. Um, you know, I do that. I produce, I produce bands, um, at a studio, I get to do co-writes and, uh, I have another band that I've been writing for a really, really long time and, um, you know, working on stuff that's going to be coming out pretty soon. And I have a solo record that I'm working on because the thing is like, just because this band and this physical entity of my life is, is, is ending doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing music. I can't, I could never, you know, and it's funny because everything I'm doing in my life is either in music directly or has stemmed from music. Right. Um, so, you know, you're going to see me, I'm not going anywhere, man. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm here. I'm a, I'm a lifer here. So I hope no one's sick of my face and sick of my voice because I'm not going to be going anywhere, man. I, I got some really cool, Opportunities coming up, uh, podcasts and TV shows and things that are in the works, which I'm super excited about. Um, but I believe it all comes from just working hard in the band, you know. Because, um, you know, people always say, you don't, make, you don't make any money in a band. There's no, like, you know, opportunities there, you know. And that may be true, but you need to figure out on the side of things. You know, I was having this conversation, 2017 is the year of the side grinds, you know. Yeah. Everyone's got a side grind, everyone's got a side hustle, and uh, I want mine to not only, you know, flourish and, and make me some money so I can, you know, take my wife out to eat every once in a while, <laughs> but uh, I, want it to, I want it to be something I'm passionate about, you know. So basically now I'm working 24 hours a day to avoid a nine-to-five, uh, and... Um, you know, I'm enjoying it. It's crazy the things, the opportunities that I'm getting. 
But I, I really, really, really believe without being, without seeming and coming off like cocky in any way, um, I earned a lot of the stuff that I'm getting. You know, any good things that are coming to the guys in my band, they earned those things over the past 13 years of touring and grinding and, and, and really in staying true to who they are. And not, you know, selling out and doing something that they don't want to do because they need to make money. Um, and, I, and I believe that, you know, you push through and you work really hard that good things will come to you, but you got to work for it. So I, you know, not only do I think that I, I've gotten these opportunities, I've worked for these opportunities and I'm, I'm really proud of them, you know. I'm very proud of, of, of all the things and the accomplishments that I get to do. And, man, I'm just, like, looking forward to the future so much. You know, it was I, you know, came to a realization and when, when we all discussed it um, and we said the band was going to break up. And while me and my manager were, you know, planning this tour out, I, it hit me and I, I you know, I, I, I went to that emotional place and I lived in my feelings for a few months. Right. Um, and it was, you know, it was a hard, hard thing. And I ended up, you know, talking to some people and really trying to get a better perspective. You know, I, I have a bunch of, you know, men in my life who are in bands that are not in bands anymore and have gone on to do incredible things, extraordinary things, because it's like, who am I if I'm not, you know, Davey from Vanna? Who am I then, you know? Um, and that's a question I had to ask myself, and that's something that I had to work on because I just didn't want to be just Davey from Vanna because eventually Vanna won't be there. And, you know, if my entire identity is based upon the, a band that I was in, you know, then, you know, I, I don't think I'm doing it right. So, right. you know, through some like friend counseling and, you know, kind of absorbing myself and taking all of the passions that I had for Vanna and, and pushing them onto other things. Um, I think that I'm, I'm, in, I'm living in a really exciting time in my life right now. Like I'm smiling talking to you about this right now because I just have a lot of cool stuff going on and I'm, I'm really excited for where, where things are going. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, between the uh, sort of like the motivational speaking that you're doing, and then I see that you're uh, uh, involved in this nonprofit organization, Hope for a Day, where uh, they're, they yeah. use the music and the arts for uh, you know for suicide and depression pre uh, prevention. You know, um, yeah. how did um, how did what motivated you to to get part of things like that? Um, you know, I never was the guy that I never was the guy that like was a leader in school um, and, and got straight A's and did all, you know, whatever. Um, I started speaking because um, I would talk to kids at the merch table and they would tell me their stories and they would thank me for writing a song about, you know, depression, you know, anxiety, divorce, um, failure, abandonment, whatever. And they would tell me their stories of all of those things. And slowly but surely, I realized that when we share stories with each other, um, not only are we having a human interaction, which is awesome because that is something that is a lost art at this point in, in the world. Um, but we also have the chance to kind of bounce our lives off each other and go, you know what? I guess I wasn't alone in that. You know, I guess there's, there's other people that are going through these things. And not only are there other people going through things, but there's other people that have made it out, out the other side and they're alive and they're happy and well. And if this person can do it, maybe I can do it. Um, and I started working with Hope the Day. I did a segment called Music Saved My Life, which was just, you know, I, I had met up with Johnny, the uh, owner of Hope for the Day, and we were just kind of talking about, you know, how music saved my life and how, you know, when I was suicidal and I was depressed and, 
Uh, music was the only thing that helped take me out, and not only music, but I had to go on tour and playing music is something that, you know, helped me, you know, be the man I am today. And, you know, he was like, oh, we have this segment called Music Saves My Life. Would you love to do it sometime? And I was like, oh, yeah, man, that would be great. Like, let's do it. And then the next day at the Vanna show, we I went downstairs to the green room in Chicago, and he had the whole, like, lights and cameras set up. And I was like, oh, we're doing this today. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, okay. Um, and if you watch it, I'm kind of awkward and not looking at the camera, but uh, I got the point across of what I was trying to say. And, you know, that video sort of went viral. And, you know, I started, people started saying, you should share your story. And, you know, eventually I, I met, you know, again, more pivotal people, a man named Mike Smith and, and um, Joshua Schmidt, who, you know, are speakers. And they, you know, they, they do this professionally. And they, I spoke in front of them. And, you know, they helped train me and helped, you know, get me, you know, going in the steps to, to start speaking at schools. Um, and I also, I own a nonprofit uh, clothing company called Shovel Brand, um, which basically is we just, we make shirts and clothing and stuff like that. And when you buy it, we're able to print more and give them to almost uh, high school students that are living in a teen center. Yeah. And part of that outreach was Mike saying, you know, when I was speaking at schools, Mike was like, your story is amazing, and these kids need to hear it, but what are you doing to continue the story of dating youth? What, what is, you know, what's next for you, you know? And I want you to figure out something that you could do to try to impact and change, you know, change your world and change the world. And out of that came Shovel Brand, and out of that came more involvement with Hope for the Day. Um, and I think that I just, I, I realized that, I never want to be a role model and I still don't necessarily think I'm a role model, but I understand that I have a platform and I think yeah. that anybody that has a platform kind of has a moral obligation to use that platform for something positive, you know, um, you know, no, there's so many agendas out there and so many things that need attention. And, you know, I'm just trying to represent a small number of them and, and really get, you know, spread the word about, you know, mental, mental health and spread the word about depression and anxiety, spread the word about togetherness and love and, um, you know, and the stigma of homelessness. I'm just trying to do the things that I think that I changed in myself. Um, I'm trying to help other people. It's not to make myself feel better. It's because for too many years I wasted being a negative person for too many years. I wasted in my bedroom being depressed for too many right. years. I didn't fulfill the person that I, I was supposed to be. And I now just want to spend the rest of my time here, just putting out positive energy into the world. And I'm not a guy, trust me. I'm not a guy that's like PMA all day, man. You gotta be positive. Life's great. Life right. sucks. Sometimes people suck sometimes. Right. Um, and I'm realistic about that, but I, I, I feel like there's, there's hope through, you know, the common ground of that we all kind of deal with these issues and problems. And it's, it's inspiring for me to see all the kids that I basically watched grow up over these last 13 years to, 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 to come to a great place because they believed in music, they believed in themselves. And I want to spread that message of punk rock and togetherness and love to kids that aren't going to necessarily go to a punk rock show. Um, you know, that's sort of my goal every school I speak at and every organization I work with is I want to bring the values and love that punk rock brought to me right. to the people that will never go to a show. 
when it comes to sort of mental health issues, you know, whether you're poor with no real outlet to mental health care, all the way up to like the CEO of a mental or a major company, you know, mental health issues are everywhere. And there's this huge spectrum where everyone has different triggers and how they deal with things and how they react to things. You know, given your platform, how do you sort of convey the message that or you know, get rid of the stigmas attached to all of this and kind of convey the message that, you know, there there is thing there is a better way out. There is things that you can work on. Uh, we, you can use music and the arts or whatever else to uh, get over these things or help these things or manage these things, you know, how do you go about sort of conveying that message? I, I like to, I like to let people know through, you know, for me, it's other people's stories too. Right. So I, I've met all these people on the road and in my experiences that have allowed me to share their stories with people as well. Um, because here's the deal, like depression, anxiety, like, you know, suicidal thoughts, what does it look like? When, when you really boil it down, what do you think of? What does it look like? And the real answer is nothing. Like depression, anxiety, mental health issues, it, it, looks, like, it looks like a punk rock kid lost at, at the age 17. It looks like a 45-year-old corporate dad who has all these pressures on him to make sure that he's successful for his company and for his family. Uh, you know, it's a divorced mom who's just trying to do right by her kids, you know? Depression, all this stuff, it doesn't look like anything. It could be anybody at any time can be dealing with something, you know? I've found that, you know, people think it's poor kids because they didn't get the chance to grow up the right way. But I've found that even rich kids, they deal with these problems, and most of the time they have the money to afford themselves to do stupid things, you know what I mean? Right. Or their parents are around them because their parents are out grinding and making that money, you know? It doesn't look like anything. And I want, that's the great equalizer through all this stuff is you could have the coolest clothes in the world. You could be the coolest dude in the world, but you could have nothing and be a loser and, and not cool in your high school. And both your, both your sets of parents are divorced and you're going through something really, really hard. And that issue right there, you can come together and be together on that and support one another through that. That's the thing is that all these things, they don't look like anything. I want everybody to know that at any time. Anybody walking down the halls of your school, down the street, at your work, any of these people in your life could be going through something very, very hard. And I think that we really, really need to really reevaluate the way that we treat people, you know. We live in a time now where you can say hello to somebody on the street and they'll give you the middle finger because, like, nobody says hello anymore. No one's polite anymore. No one's nice anymore. Right. Um, so my personal conquest, when I go to schools and stuff, is just – I just want people to be kind to each other, you know, because for a lot of those schools, those hallways of those schools, that might be the only like safe space that a kid's got. That might be the only place where, uh, you know, this kid can go because his family hates him or he doesn't have a family or he's homeless, you know, um, the walls of those schools or the walls of your work or those, those, those punk rock shows. Those might be the only places that those people can even be free to be who they are. You know, um, you know, we live in a, a day and age where, you know, you know, gay kids and trans kids and kids of different races and, um, you know, and different sexuality and genders are being just marginalized. And not only that, but being beat up, you know, being told they have no part in society. And so every time I'm in a room, I try to cultivate the, you know, the feeling that in this room, you are safe here. In this room, you are free here to be who you want, you know. And I do, you know what I get a lot now? I get a lot of these things where the older guys or guys my age were like, 
you know, when I grew up, growing up, I didn't have any safe spaces. Like I joined the army and I blah, blah, blah. And I did this and yeah. I did that and I got through it. And I was like, and, and, and were you depressed for a lot of years and suicidal? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I made it through. And I'm like, well, how'd you make it through? Well, well I, I used to listen to bands and I joined the military and blah, blah. I'm like, cool. They're, they're those, they're, those are your safe spaces. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just because we have, we have, you know, words, you know, and they like, you know, phrases for all of these conditions and things now don't, doesn't mean that these are new problems. Definitely, these are things definitely. that have been going on for the beginning of time. We just have a, a brand and a way to, to, to talk about them now. And, you know, I, I, I get so upset back in my day. Well, guess what? Back in your day, men used to beat their wives and like people didn't talk about their feelings and like, that's not okay. I don't, I don't want to live in back in the day because that stuff clearly didn't work for anybody. You know, how many of us have parents and that were divorced because they didn't talk about anything in their marriages and their marriages went wrong. You know, I, I'm from a generation where the divorce rate was at the ultimate highest. Um, and I, I just feel like there is no mold for sadness. There is no, there is no type for depression. There is, you know, everybody at a certain point in their life, need a little bit of help. And, you know, I, sometimes just saying hello to somebody or telling them they look good today or like, I like your haircut or those are nice shoes, you know, right. that stuff goes a long way with people, man. And I really feel that, I really feel that we need to kind of, you know, reevaluate how we interact with human beings on a real level because, man, we're, we're awful to each other and it, that has to end. And I, I'm guilty of it. And everything I'm saying, I am not better than everybody. In fact, I'm probably, I was probably worse than most people out there. Um, <clears throat> you know, with the way I treated people when I treated my own life, but I, I snapped out of it and I've realized stuff. And if I can help, you know, though I believe in going through, you know, going, going through your issues and going around your issues, builds character and it makes you the person that you should be. But if I can help people skirt some issues and skirt some things that like, you know, they really don't have to go down that road. You know, you don't have to go down the destructive road. If I can help stop people by sharing my experiences, and that's really the ultimate goal for me. But I don't, I, don't, I want everyone to realize that it, it could be anybody at any time. You know, when we lose someone in a suicide and they go, I had no idea. They're, a, they're an all-star athlete and they're a straight-A student. Why would this happen? Yeah, yeah, man, everyone gets sad. Everybody feels lost. Everybody at one point in their life it's this moment where they go, should I be here? Do I have a place in this world? And I think that we all have to remember that. Definitely, definitely, man. Sounds like you're doing some really good work out there, Davey. Uh, uh, that's about it for the interview. Uh, what, um, you know, if anybody wants to find out, you know, more information about Vanna, what you're doing, or any of the organizations that you're a part of, where can they go online? Um, I have a website, it's just DaveyMuse.com, D-A-V-E-Y-M-U-I-S-E.com. And I post all my stuff on there. Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm a big, a big advocate of social media. I love Instagram and Twitter. My name is just Davey Muse and all that stuff. And I, I, I you know, I, I try to post everything and I keep up with everyone on there. So I'm very active out there. And it's, it, it's because I love staying connected to all the people I've gotten a chance, you know, share one night with or, a tour with or whatever. So, um, yeah, my website, my socials, you can check everything out. I'll be announcing, you know, more music and then, and, and new things that I'm doing all in there. And I just, I think it's amazing that anyone even cares what I do. Um, and, and wants to be a part of stuff with me. Um, and, uh, if you, uh, guys are interested in, 
in um, Shovel Brand, which is the clothing uh, brand that I'm, I, I do that, you know, helps, um, you know, homeless high school students. It's just shovelbrand.com. We're going to be releasing a new uh, summer line uh, for kids, and it, it, it's going to be good. I'm just excited about everything that's going on. So keep up with me because I'm moving super fast. <laughs> awesome, awesome, man. It's been great talking with you, man. Good luck on everything, the tour, and everything else that you are working on uh, um, after all this. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking all the time and, and, and hanging out with me. All right, no doubt, man. You have a good day. Be too, man. So that was my interview with Davey Muse from the band Vanna. If you're lucky enough to be into one of the cities that uh, are on their farewell tour, I would say go check them out because you might, hey, maybe never see them again as a band. Maybe they'll get together eventually, but who knows. Now for the Fresh of the Word discussion portion of the show. And like always, I'm joined with my co-host, Detroit hip-hop artist, pro wrestling, boxing, and MMA connoisseur, and proud Marine V-Styles. What up, though? What up, though, Kelly? You good, man? I'm good, man. I'm all right. You know, it's been one of those weeks where you always just, like, feel like everything takes longer than it should, and you're, like, um, you're just, it, it just, you're just tired after everything because it seems like everything's a, a struggle for no reason. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> say it. Say it, man. Say it. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy, crazy. Yeah, um, before yeah, before we hit record, though, you know, you mentioned you were asking me what I th- thought about uh Paul Rosenberg. You know, Eminem's okay, long wait, time. Wait wait wait. wait, 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 wait. I know, I know. We talking about Mr. Paul Bunyan. You know, uh, <laughs> the lumberjack alumni. Yeah, you know, people don't understand that. But we'll get back into that for a hot second. I figured I, because I, I, I didn't even think about it before we we started, dude. Our bull is here. Who? Chris Cyborg. Oh. Yeah. Dude, dude, she's at the MGM. Uh, if we're here for the Clarissa Shield fight tomorrow on Showtime. Oh. You know, they were training together. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she came to town for that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I just did see her. Yeah. Oh, all right. Dude. Somehow, some way, I need you to put your Google skills together, and me and you go have to take a picture with, with Chris, man. We got to do that, man. She's he's here right now, man, and uh, you know, I don't, we, I don't, we love her, man. We we've oh, been rocking shoot. with her before anybody. Right. I don't know. Oh man, shoot! I'm going. I'm going out of town tomorrow. So, uh crap. <laughs> I hate you, dude. See, I keep on going out of town, man. So, but, uh, you know, uh, oh, yeah. Big ups to Cyborg, the finally with featherweight title, UFC. And, you know. And new. Yeah, finally got it. <laughs> Big ups to uh, Clarissa uh, Shield. She'll probably, uh, let's see if she gets another belt around her waist uh, coming up tomorrow. You know, you, you know what, though? I, just, just to speak on that for a minute. And this is no hate at all. Like Clarissa Shields is great in my opinion. You know, her skills you 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 can't front like what you see. But you know, it's her fourth fight. She's fighting for a world title. Um it's really hard to you know, gauge her as far as how good she is when she don't have 
no competition. It's almost right. It, it's almost similar to when Ronda Rousey came into mixed martial arts. You know, people may, you know, box, but there's not a lot of Clarissa Shields, man. So for her to even get a title shot and with minimal fights like this, just said something about how her skills are respected, man. Um, so I expect her to go out there and do damage, man. Salute to her, you know, Flint, Michigan, all that. Word, word, word. Hell yeah. All right, getting back to, like, what we were originally going to, I was going to bring up was with regards to uh, Paul Rosenberg. He uh, uh, just named uh, the head of uh, Def Jam. I, I guess he's going to start his duties uh, starting in 2018. Um you know what? What do you feel about that? Because these days, like, I don't like, I don't know what these roles like play in regards to the music industry. When someone becomes a head of like a label like Def Def Jam, who who used to be a, like that used to be a prominent label, and then emerged with other with Island and got bought out and just became another part of a, the machine. So you know what do you, you know? What's your thoughts about this? Well. Um, they they filling in they filling in the position that was um, you know it was been vacated for a minute. Um, you if you put somebody in control uh, of just the brand, Def Jam is not necessarily a label; it's a brand now, just yes. like you said. Um, you know, yeah, we know Universal, but p- people, when you talk about hip-hop and other things related within the culture, Def Jam is like everything. And some people still feel like that. Um, what Paul brings to the table is, you know, success. Yeah. He's won. He's won. His formula wins, so... I'm more curious to see what happens with Shady Records. I'm I'm curious to see what artist, if any, goes over to Def Jam. I'm curious to see what he does. I'm just curious to see, man. Um, um, like I said before, I used to buy this dude drinks. Like <laughs> he's part of this this group called the Lumberjacks, and you know I used to get him beers all the time, man, and to 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 go back to that and to you know dude don't didn't even really need this he's no. already successful what he was doing with with shady and you know him and M and everything else that they've done you know the name is synonymous you know when you talk about you know hip hop music man who don't know Paul Rosenberg you know uh, Paul Bunyan to us that, you know, been around and, and we're dinosaurs and, and we know, like, that's why I smile, you know. I, I've seen some comments and, you know, some people hate, but I ask them, what have they done? What have they, like, you know, right? say what you're going to say, man. That dude, you know, he was a part of our culture and that shit is real. So if you hating on it, man, you know, Look in the mirror and think about what you've done with your life and, and, and keep it moving. But, yeah, salute to him. But I, to answer your question is I, I don't know right. what it is 
that he could do, but he's a prominent name and it does give it hope to anything because people that don't understand the business, but know that logo, it means a lot to him. So if Paul can bring some, you know, some realness to it and, and he's a proven dude, who knows? You know, I'm pretty, I just want to see what the artist shakeup will be like over there. If any, right. You know, but salute to him. Um, yeah, man, new beginnings, new beginnings, man. I, I feel like one of us, you know, one of us won straight up because he's from here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, man. It's uh, yeah, good luck, uh, Paul Rosenberg. I'd be like, uh, I'm just excited to see, like, you know, what sort of, if there's any sort of shake up, any freshness that can bring to the, uh, to the, the, the Def Jam uh, label. That'd be cool to see. You know, as though I remember when I dropped Class of the Titans. Yeah. Um, and then I dropped, and then I dropped a video. And out the blue, he retweeted it, and he said, it's always good to see old Fred still working. Fuck me up. I was like, damn, this is Paul fucking <laughs> <laughs> nice. Paul fucking Rose. And only the people that know is going to understand that. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, wow, I can't believe he, he, he it was like, good to see old Fred still working. And... You know, at the time, Royce's situation was different. He wasn't at Shady. So I still wonder, you know, I know he remember, you know, yeah. uh, was he talking to me? Was he talking to us? Was he talking to all? I think he was talking to all of us, you know, uh, just how I, I said, wow, that's dope. Because everybody that was on that record, with the exception of, of Big Pooh, come from where he come from. And we all we all were around at the same time, you know, you know, honing our skills, man. So, yeah, that shit meant meant a lot to me, man. I said, motherfucking Paul Rosenberg, that, that that's like top three tweet for me. That Jake, <laughs> straight up, man. That Jake Snake Roberts, you know that? Yeah, but that one, it, it held. It, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. All right, so um switching topics, um biggest event and kind of what we we talk about this past weekend was uh UFC two fourteen. A lot of stuff uh, happened, a lot of a lot, lot of fallout came out of it, a lot of discussions, a lot of shit talking, a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff going on. But first off, let's talk about the Detroit boy that was a part of uh UFC uh 214 on the early uh, prelims, the monkey guy. Oh, you're talking about the monkey guy, baby, the <laughs> monkey guy, yeah. Jared Brooks. Um, he pulled, <laughs> yeah, he pulled, he pulled, he pulled out, you know, uh, it was a split decision. Yes. Um, but he, but he, but he won his debut. You know, I thought he did enough to win the fight. Um, I think, you know, with it being, you know, his first fight in UFC, and with it being highly anticipated, um, I think he did all right, man. It, it only gets better from here, man. Like he said, man, you 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 know you just seeing the beginning. So 
Yeah, salute to that dude, man. Right. I, 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 I rock with him. Yeah, you and know, I love his... with me on Facebook. Yeah. We got mutual friends. He gets trained by James uh, by James Lee. Yeah. Uh, over at Mass Gym and, and uh, Coach Kara Rowe. You know, she's a boxing coach and former world champion in boxing, man. So he got a solid team, you know, around him. Salute to them. Yeah. You know, congrats on the win. Oh yeah, definitely. I I love the nickname. I I like his like personality, his charisma. He has like, like he reminds me of someone from he, around here, you know. So I he he he, he <laughs> believes, dude. He believes in himself, and you know every interaction I've had with him, you know, on Facebook has always been super cool. Um, yeah, I haven't met him yet, but I'm pretty sure I will, cause like I said, you know, I'm real cool with James. And uh, it's just a matter of time for, you know, matter of fact, we need to do that together. When when I get that call, you know, if you're free, we're going to go together. Man, we got to start doing some shit together, Kelly. Oh, yeah. Damn it. Yeah, right. All right. Definitely. <laughs> we do, man. We do. <laughs> you always work in. I got weird schedules. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. We're, okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get it to rocking. But, yeah, man, I'm happy for that dude, man. And, um you know, I, th- I think it's only up from here. You know, you get better according to the competition that you're in there with. And I already like the skill set, man. And styles make fights, man. But I'm really interested in, uh, I want to talk about this, this Woodley matchup, man, When whenever you're ready. Well, we can go there next, man. Uh, Woodley gets the uh, unanimous decision over Damian Maya. A lot of people talking mm-hmm. shit about this, uh, about this fight, about it being boring. Me personally, I was enthralled by it because I knew going in, like we always talk about with Damian Maya, if he can grab a hold of you, he he's gonna be like a succubi and not and not let you go, and it's gonna be tough to to not get submitted by this dude. And when and I'm sitting here watching Tyron Woodley just thwart every takedown attempt, 21 in all, through the whole fight. I was, like, mesmerized that that shit was happening. Um, was it was it an exciting fight? Not necessarily, but I was still mesmerized that, like, yo, this dude is breaking down this dude's offense that he's, like, he's picked apart so many other fighters with, and he is just shutting them down. And I'm just waiting for Damian Maya to actually get a successful takedown, and it never happened. So that, that shit was crazy to me, but other people didn't like it. Okay, Kelly, let me say this first off, and this is me speaking to you, because I, I, I remember when you first started, you know, getting it back into MMA and, yeah. you know, starting to... To, to vibe to it and stuff. The comment you just made is the exact same shit that makes me love mixed martial arts. Styles make fights. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't um, look for, I'm not the big knockout guy. I, I, in fact, in all fighting, whether it's boxing or mixed martial arts, man, I care more about the skill set and I like the setups and I like the other shit that yeah. leads to certain outcomes. You are night and day to where you used to be, man. <laughs> and dude, that's some, that's some, that's some, look, I'm more impressed by what you just fucking said 
to anything because I don't see, have to say nothing. See, You've already said what I would have said. Well, see, and like that's, that's real, why, man. Absolutely, and that, and that makes you look, and that makes you like you're all you're a fan. You're going to be a fan, but when you can look at it from an unbiased opinion and call it as you see it, right? Most people, most people don't know how to call it, so. To them, it might be boring, but to me and you, we looking at it like, damn, I can't believe he's fucking like every fucking takedown. He he's fucking sprawling. He's he's defending it. He's doing everything. Like to me, it was a fucking art. Yeah, and it was. I appreciate. <laughs> I I appreciate that shit, man. So, you know, when I see people out here bashing Teron Woodley. It's like, do you even fucking understand what you see? Like, when Dana White came out and said all that whole-ass shit, and you know, I ain't no big Dana. I, I just want Dana to be fair, you right. know? That's all you, you want when it comes to these type motherfuckers, be fair. And I thought it was like, dog, how the fuck you gonna smash this dude talking about this, the, the most unexciting fight, and okay, yeah, it broke the record for it. Like, it's like you threw that dude up under the bus Right. Damian Maya came in on a what five, six, seven win streak or some shit like that, grabbing motherfuckers and damn, they're choking them the fuck out, suffocating them the whole fight. And this dude, every fucking attempt, squashed it. And then what make it even worse? You bash the dude, and then it come back to MRI says he has a torn shoulder. Uh, you know something going on with his shoulder, which explains why he couldn't explode in certain ways. Yeah. You know, so, so, and he's out for six months, and they about to have an interim uh, welterweight title fight with Robbie Lawler and um, Mastodon. So, you know, yeah, you know, I, I felt Teron Willie had a point. Um, I didn't understand why Dana would do that. It's like, wow, dude, that's some whole-ass shit. Then you had the little other dude, Kobe. What's his name? Kobe Covington. He come out. Yeah. Talking about, don't worry about it, boss. <laughs> you know. He was sucking up so and, bad. <laughs> that, dog, man. You know what it remind me of, dude? I'm going to tell you what it remind me of, man. <laughs> hey, if, this next comment is not for the, the soft, the weak, the meek. You know, this next comment is some hardcore shit. But if you ever watch Menace to Society, when my man had the cheeseburger, <laughs> he was like, I suck your, I suck your dick. <laughs> oh, my. That, that's what basically, man, he was sucking up so <laughs> hard, look, man. Look, 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 dog, that's, that's what it was. Dana, Dana, I suck your dick. That's what it that's what it sounded like to me. Just like, dog, are you really fucking kidding me, dude? You, wow, dude, that's that's some wild shit that you just did right there, man. That's some hard, like what, what, dude, what real man then to come out? I'm just trying to get my name out there, man. What type of dick sucking dude is you? <laughs> like, what type of morals? Right, people, if y'all out there listening, men especially. Learn from that shit right there. That's some of the whack. That's top three whack shit I've seen all year. <laughs> I got something dirty on him, boss. Man, he's about... career, boss. Dude, that's some, like... 
You're just gonna you're gonna just snitch on somebody just in public, man. Like, not even be like, low where key did about. Where come from? <laughs> right, <laughs> dude. That that was so. It, it was, look. It was done like so reckless. Like, damn, who was this? Like, I, and I heard this too. Who the fuck is this guy? I heard that shit. You know, like, who the fuck are you? Like. Oh no, nah, really? Oh man, come on, son, come on. Right. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that was that was uh, that was pretty effing bad, man. Pretty effing bad. Yeah, but I I looked at Teron Willie's you know title defense as a success, and you know the people that complain about it are the people that don't understand what it is that they watching. All they want to see is some knockouts and shit like that. So, you know, salute to y'all. I get it. Yeah. You know, but some of us, some of us love the art and I'm a guy that loves the art. I love the setup. I right. love and, the, and, the, and speaking about that, you know, if you actually look at the, the three title fights from 214, all the, everybody who won, everybody who won those fights had like this air of patience in regards to uh, their fights. Like n- nobody w- actually went out and started, you know, like going, you know, throwing Hail Marys or anything. Cyborg could have probably went out and, you know, started throwing some, some Hail Marys towards uh, Tanya Avenger. But no, she, she knew how important this fight was. So she broke it down effectively. And, and she picked st- her shot. Yeah, she what she was supposed to do. Yeah, she could have went out there and started throwing bombs at her, but she didn't. And Tanya Evinger even rolled with a lot of the punches that she was able to land. She was tough. She was really tough in that fight. But there was this air of of you know of setup and caution and actually you know like you're saying like the 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 the, the art of it all that was going on in these fights, and that's what I enjoyed about them all. Yeah, um, I wasn't mad at Teron Willie's uh, performance. I thought it was a massive performance. Um, you know, motherfuckers want, want him to go out there and tie up with motherfucking Danny Meyer. You do that shit and find out what happened to you in real life. You know, and that that's what's upsetting to me when, you know, you make a comment and it's like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, man. You... You know, we watched Damian Maya smash people. You can't look good against Damian fucking Maya. Anderson Silva, arguably the greatest of all time, didn't look good against Damian Maya. You know, you're not going to look good against Matt Masvidal, who's a monster on his hand. You know, with, with his hands. You know, been watching him since Strike Force. Didn't look good against Damian Maya. You know, so you have to. You know, I think Willie did what he was supposed to do. George St. Pierre did that type shit. Motherfuckers didn't say nothing. <laughs> of course. Of course. You know? Shit. <sighs> but I'll say this about Teron Willby. He did everything right after the fight. Um, came defended himself against Dana White after the fight. I felt him on that. Yeah. But the one thing I didn't feel is when they said, who's next? He said, you think Robbie Lawler's next? And he said, what has Robbie Lawler done um, other than 
calling the ball like Ronda Rousey. Hmm. Um, I thought that was some kind of whole ass shit to say. Reason being, the dude that he smashed twice and went to war with smashed you like it was nothing. And the wars, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody says. When you have wars, 38, excuse me, uh, 25 minutes can take a whole lot of your, a whole lot of, out of your soul when you're in war than not being in war. So that dude had two wars with that guy, Robbie, <clears throat> Robbie, uh, Rory McDonald. Yeah. Won both the fights, and I think Tehran caught him at the right time. It happens. Yeah. But to say he's crawled up and, you know, like Ronda Rousey, you know, within the last year is totally disrespectful. He needed a break. You know, why not? I like Robbie, man. They used to be teammates, man, but I just thought that was some... That was like some super lame ass shit to say. Um, but other than that, you know, I I, I respect Ron as a champion. It's obvious UFC don't want him as a champion because he's not, you know, at least in their eyes, marketable. Um, Dana White constantly puts his foot in the mouth then wants to apologize and do all this other whole shit. Um, yeah, man, it, it's it is what it is, man. Hey, it is what it is. Right, man. Right. Yeah. Uh, the you know the big the big fight of the night. You know, you know the fight that everybody was been waiting for was the the rematch between John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Like, you know what? This is like as everything played out um this past weekend with that fight. You know, you just you, you really realized how much like emotion was in this fight because you had both these fighters. You had John Jones, who was, who you know, trying to look for some sort of redemption in people's eyes, and then you have Daniel Cormier, who's like trying to get this monkey off his back. The only person who he hasn't beaten is John Jones, and mm-hmm. so somebody's gonna come out happy and somebody's gonna come out sad in this fight more than any other fight, and. It it was it was a uh, it was a close fight those for, um those first two rounds but then as you said man uh you know Daniel Cormier got caught and it, 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 it is no shame in getting caught and this is the whole thing man DC for his purposes man like Jones was kind of getting frustrated you know he was on his heels the whole fight you know. Um, meaning he was backing up the whole fight. You know, D.C. was bringing it to him. You know, one judge had Jones up 2 nothing, and other two judges had a 19-19, you know, 1-1. So D.C. was in the fight. It wasn't like he wasn't in the fight. And I still think his momentum, you know, he was happy where, where the direction it was going. And then he got caught with that left kick, man. And, you know, that shit happens, man. Um, I don't think dude got nothing to be shamed about, man. That that guy went from 
not knowing what he was going to do after after wrestling, you know, collegially and being an Olympian, to not knowing where, you know, what he was going to do next. MMA, in my opinion, saved his life. And, you know, uh, his achievements as far as being a undersized heavyweight, first time I ever seen him uh, was when he beat Bigfoot in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, St. Carl Moe was uh, fighting Roger Gracie on, man. I can remember being backstage and people walking around and nobody knew who the fuck DC was. They knew who he was after that fight, you know, because he had knocked out Silver, but the man was humble, super humble, man, and to know where he come from and see him now, he's won. And he ain't got no reason to, 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 you know, to hold his head down, man. You know, the dude, hell, the dude collected a million dollars. Just That's just his regular payout, man. We ain't talking about pay-per-view. So you can't even, like, how do you front on that? You know, dude beat all the number one contenders. He had wars with Gustafsson. He, he beat Rumble Johnson twice. Like, he, he's done his job. Um, John Jones um, is just a better fighter. You know, there's nothing you can say bad about John Jones, his performance, man. And he's said and done all the right things, um, you know, he said and done all the right things, you know, recently. And, uh, you know, I think we should get a young man a chance to, uh, you know, keep bettering himself, man. Ultimately, that's what it's all about, man. You know, we, we, we sit and throw stones, man, but <clears throat> all of us have fucked up, you know, right. once upon, you know, in our life, no matter what level it is. So, you know, salute to John Jones, man, for, for getting back what was his and salute him for giving it up to D.C. and being a real G about it, man. And, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, that's what you want. You just want to see growth and maturity. And, and when you're talking about martial arts, you want to see honor. Right. And, and I think they represent that well. Right. That was a, yeah, that was a hell of a, you know, a, a post-fight interview that John Jones uh, did in the cage afterwards. It was, uh, it was really heartfelt and super, like, it was very like super classy. It's super, super classy, classy, man. I, you know, it, it made the whole, the whole fight and everything, the whole story just even, even more emotional. I was like, Oh shit. Like, you, like even I was getting in my feelings about that. I was like, Oh dude. All right. Uh, but in like and then and then also he like calls out Brock Lesnar uh regards to this and th- this is definitely a thing that I could see happening eventually cuz that like that that will be big pay-per-view buys and I know the UFC will try to nudge that as much as they can cuz they know the star power in that fight um well it's good to see that John Jones is back, and he is ruler of the light heavyweight division once again. Um, I can't wait to see him against uh, Alexander Gustafsson again. Yes. You know, um, I hope I think that that's happens. Going to be an epic rematch. Um, 
John Jones and John Jones, and I'm gonna say it now. John Jones is UFC star. Um, not Conor McGregor. I think Conor McGregor brings a certain type of crowd to mixed martial mixed martial arts. Man, he, you know, he knows how to sell himself real well. But you know, I know Joe Duffy beat him. I know Nate Diaz choked him out. Um, ain't nobody beat John Jones. Right. Nobody. Um, this is this is probably John Jones, in my opinion, his most impressive victory. You know, uh, against DC because uh, that left kick came out of nowhere. Right, yeah, right. It, 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 it came out of fucking nowhere. So, and the funny thing is, if you look at the footage, you DC was used to getting kicked in the body, so it was like he was, he he thought the kick was coming to the body, and he covered up on the body and then went to his fucking head, and you know it's like wow. Um, but I honestly think John Jones can beat Brock Lesnar. Um, the thing is, Brock Lesnar has to get his hands on John Jones, similar to, I mean, it could happen. Yeah. I think Brock is a freak, but I think John Jones striking and his unorthodox striking would, I think he just would, oh, man, it, it, it would be bad, man. It would be bad for Brock. Brock might cry and retire again, um, you know. Yeah. You know, and I'm, and I'm a Brock Lesnar fan, but I just think, you know, unless he could just hold him for five rounds, I don't see, you know, like what are you going to – I just don't see. And what it brings is star power, Brock Lesnar – it's the best of both worlds. You got UFC people, you got pro wrestler fans just go tune in to, you know, the event because they brought Lesnar fans. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's going to win, but John Jones is really going to win. So, um, if Brock was the, you know, that would be one of the biggest upsets of all time, in my opinion. I don't care how much weight advantage Brock Lesnar has on John Jones. I just don't see him being able to hold on to him. Um, I think he gasses. I think a lot of things, and it ain't good. I could see John Jones kicking at them legs. Um, Brock don't have the biggest legs. I could see John Jones just chipping at them legs. <laughs> right, and, right. Right, yeah, the, you know, the, the legs are not the not the biggest. Yeah, he don't have the you know the biggest legs for what his size. Yeah, stuff, man, so I, you could uh, chop at those legs. Just, I see that's just something something real bad, man. You know, um, yeah, I don't think it would be good for for you know good old Brock there, but you know it is what it is. Yeah, and, and if this happens, it's not going to happen anytime soon because Brock Lesnar officially retired, so he still has suspension time that he would have to uh, fulfill and then also get back mm-hmm. in the, the USADA pool. 
So this fight wouldn't even happen until uh, sometime in 2018 anyways. Well, the big thing about that is, you know, anytime you see the WWE storyline and the storyline is... If Brock Lesnar loses his title, he leaves the WWE. Yeah, that's And that kind of that kind of that kind of that kind of lets you know that he's about to drop his title at SummerSlam. And let's just really hope that it's not to to fucking Roman Reigns and it's to Samoa Joe. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay. Then this this return to the UFC might be uh might be real if he's gonna. They wouldn't even be promoting it like that if it wasn't. Yeah, then it might be real if if you're gonna if you're gonna go that way, be, because it's like uh, you know uh you know before you know we you know thought that the whole uh, Brock Lesnar thing might go all the way to uh to WrestleMania. Uh, but mm-hmm. the way it's looking now, it you know it might just only go to SummerSlam, so. We'll see, you know, but you know that that will be a big that would be a big uh, fight for UFC if it was uh, John Jones versus Brock Lesnar, and I know oh, it's going it, it's going to happen. Yeah. There is no question that that fight is going to happen, man. When it happens, it is another thing, and you know, um, it, hey, yeah, this lets you know how much disarray that the UFC is having or got going on right now. And I say that because they don't have no star power. Um, if you pay attention, well, I ain't going to say, I mean, I know you pay attention, but we were seeing for a long time that this was the setup, you know, so people were, were shocked when, you know, he called him out, but that was said that was reported three weeks to the fight. He's going to do this. And you know this happened. He's gonna do this, and that. we knew what was gonna happen. We knew he was gonna call him out. So, um, for him to just call him out instead of instead of calling Alexander Gustafsson out, it's like wow. Okay, you you know fuck all that. It's straight straight to Brock. Straight to you the know? money fight because he, he even also said that yeah. he, he wasn't interested in. Uh, and going against Stipe for the uh, heavyweight belt at all, he said that is no interest in me. He he want he, he wanted the money. Fund. Nobody knows him. Yeah. You know, and that's a money grab all day. Yeah, definitely. Money grab all day, man. So I ain't mad at John Jones for that, man. Get your money, man. If you got a small window to make your bread, do it. Whatever the biggest fight is gonna get you some some paper, and that lets you know that this is what the new UFC is going to be. It ain't gonna be about who's the number one contender. You know, it's gonna be out. It's gonna be about what fights can make us the most money. And the Fatila brothers were super genius to get rid of uh, UFC when it was time. You know, to get rid of it. You know. Uh, I see pay-per-views not doing so great for UFC um, in the near future. And I also see Bellator catching up to UFC real soon because Scott Coker, although he makes nostalgia matchups, 
he also built stars, as you see, all the stars that's over at UFC were his fighters. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but we're in a new day now. And get your money, John Jones. You know, um, I'm a Brock fan, but I just don't see how Brock can win this fight. Right, right, right. Uh, turning to the, the world of the WWE, uh, this past Tuesday, my boy Shinsuke Nakamura beat John Cena and will be facing the modern-day Maharaja at SummerSlam. <laughs> silly. The modern-day Maharaja. At Maharaja! Sum- <laughs> <laughs> the modern day but yeah it'll be uh it'll be Nakamura versus Jinder Mahal at the uh at SummerSlam for the WWE title and I will be super happy if Nakamura Ends up the uh, the winner, and you know the thing is, okay, this is the thing, and I, I, I this is when I like like SmackDown's continuity. They've been like doing this whole Nakamura versus Nakamura and Baron Corbin thing for a while, and it's gonna it'll make sense that if Nakamura wins the belt and Baron Corbin is the Money in the Bank, you know, briefcase holder, that he'll go after. Shinsuke Nakamura, and it would make more sense than than before. I'll have I'll have layers of of a storyline. You know, what, whatever you think about Baron Corbin or not, at least the story behind it sort of makes a little bit more sense. You know, in something that's already been built. I like Baron Corbin. I like Baron Corbin. Um, you know, um, it's obvious that you know he's the future, and he's going to be a champion. But uh, right now, Shinsuke is is in the driver's seat, you know, just on the recent reports that uh, the WWE has not really gained financially, you know, as far as uh, Jinder Mahal being champion over his native country. So with with stocks being down, um, it it makes sense to to put the strap on one of your most popular wrestlers, you know, so, and that's what, uh, you know, Kinsuke Nakamura is, you know, he's, he's, you know, he, he's a, you know, look, I don't know if anybody else is watching that match with him and John Cena, but when he did that, was that inverted suplex, (laughs) you know, wait, yeah. You know, but when John Cena came down on his fucking neck, oh Dude. my god, that shit looks so. That, ooh, that, that shit looked, looked horrible. That man. looked ugly, man. Oh, that that was when Super Cena uh, kicked in the gear and he just pops back up, but it still looked, it still looked ugly. And afterwards, in the ring, like Shinsuke, like apologized for that. Yeah, man. <laughs> um... But I mean, I don't like, think it was. I don't think it was botched on his end. I, I just don't think Cena exploded enough, man. Right. And you know, he came. I was like, "Ooh, man, he is fucking super lucky. He didn't break his fucking neck." Like that's and, some shit that uh, you'd see like in Japan, like like Shinsuke would do to someone in Japan, and they're like used to that shit and they know how to roll with it, you know. 
Uh, yeah. But I don't think John Cena John got a lot to... of muscle mass. Yeah, so he was able to take it, but I don't think most other people wouldn't have uh, been so lucky, man. They might have uh, hurt themselves uh, on that move. But, yeah. I was like, I was like oh. That's, that's all I can say is, oh. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, he yeah he was fine because like after SmackDown went on went off the air and two hundred five started, two hundred five live started, Baron Corbin actually came out and attacked Shinsuke Nakamura, and then John Cena put uh, Baron Corbin through the announce table, <laughs> so he was he was able to bounce back. But yeah, it, that that shit was that shit looked ugly, man. It was like. Yeah, oh. and you could tell when it's bothering motherfucker, man. You could see that. I could see that that was clearly bothering John Cena. Yeah, that shit was crazy. But no, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that Shinsuke Nakamura gets this, uh, um, you know, attempt to you know become the champion. And and you know, there's been a lot of you know people who knew about Shinsuke before. You know, they they you know a lot of people haven't been completely satisfied with his run in WWE yet. But to me, I, I I'm patient with it because it's an it's a new thing for him. He's on the other side of the planet, you know. He's away from everybody who who's regularly around, you know. He you know he moved out to the to uh, to the states, you know. He's this is all new for him, you know. So mm-hmm. there's still a you know, in comparison to other people, there's still sort of a you know a feeling out period. And like, um, like, cause this was something, uh, Jim Ross was on uh, Stone Cold's podcast, and the uh, the topic of Shinsuke Nakamura came out, and he was like, he's like, I like this guy, he's like, but I don't think we've seen the best from him yet, you know, I, I think he's holding back still, you know, I, he's like, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what it, what's it, what it's about, you know, whether it's the new surroundings or whatever, or if you, you know, feels like the wrestlers here can't take the style that he's normal to, he's like used to, like mm-hmm. the strong style. But he's like, you know, that's the, you know, that's, you know, he's like, that's the one thing he needs to figure out right now is that one little thing that's missing right now in the WWE when it comes to uh, his, his performances. And, and I actually do agree with Jim Ross on that. There is something a little bit missing with Shinsuke yet. And I think he's just, I think he's just holding back, you know, he's like, yeah, I can agree with that. that I can agree with that. But I feel like he'll find it. You know, he, he's starting to. He's starting to find those things, you know, and it's it, it, with Shinsuke. He has that that larger than life personality, and when he does those little things, those little comedic things, like people love it. Mm-hmm. Like when he's doing all that shit to John Cena about seeing him, like the the glasses and stuff like that. Like that shit, right. that shit was like hilarious. That shit was perfect, you know. Anytime he like yeah, pokes it was. fun, like anytime it was. he po- anytime like like the way Shinsuke Nakamura pokes fun at people. It's it's actually very endearing and people like just really love it, you know, and the fans will really mm-hmm. get behind it. So I feel like he's starting to find his uh, his his edge. And now that they're putting him in this position to you know possibly be the world champion, and that I feel like that will be a be a, a you know a change for him. They'll, they'll turn a corner for his his output in the WWE. I totally agree. Um... You know, it, shout out to John Cena for being a true professional as far as 
not being afraid to put the put the newer guys over. Yeah, that's super. That's super important when when you're talking about wrestlers and them having egos and not wanting to lose and stuff like that. Man, John Cena is a is all to ultimate. You know, you know, professional when it comes to doing stuff like that, and uh, it's a great match, man. And um, you know, I, I foresee the WWE putting the strap on him at SummerSlam, and Baron Corbin, you know, using that Money in the Bank uh, briefcase to up hit, up in him, whether it be at SummerSlam or the next day. Or that, or the next two days on SmackDown is to be seen, but that's what's going to happen, in my opinion. And uh, you know, you know, hey, let's see where we go from here, because I think ultimately what it's going to lead to is WrestleMania. Like I've been saying from the beginning, early reports is uh, Nakamura and AJ Styles, dude, you know, like, probably yes, and world like cha- world champion, world champion versus US champion. Yeah, dude, we we could really soon ha- be in a world where both Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles are champions in the WWE. Like, what a time to be alive, you know? <laughs> like, I will, you know, what's, what's cool is me and you already see it. So that's what makes it dope. You know, I just want to see, I want to see what, what colors of paint they go use in the drawing to get to that point. I'm I'm totally I'm totally all for that. I can't wait till we get that get that uh get that bout. They already they teased it during that ladder match and people are in into it. People are into it. They want everybody wants to see a real deal. AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura fighting the WWE. High stakes, high prize. We just want to see it. And I'm patient. You want to see it? I'm patient. I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it. Definitely. Indeed, indeed. Cool, cool. All right, man. This is about it for this week's uh, podcast. Uh, v Styles, where can they find you online? You can find me online at uh, the forward slash uh, on, on Twitter, Facebook at uh, forward slash V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z, and on Instagram, forward slash V-S-T-Y-L-E-Z. And you can find me on my official verified page on Facebook, at official comment spelling V Styles V S T Y L E Z. All one word together. Official V Styles. Word up, word up. Thanks for listening. Goodbye and good night. Peace. Fresh is the word.